Amanda Manier is an attorney that helps veterans work their way through the VA claim process. Coming up next, I'm Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. This episode is brought to you by Bench Bookkeeping. If you're an entrepreneur, the last thing you want to mess with is bookkeeping. But it is a necessary evil in this world of entrepreneurship. Bench Bookkeeping relieved that huge burden for me and my business because Bench puts bookkeeping on autopilot. To check out Bench and get one month free of bookkeeping and take that task off your desk, go to veteranonthemove.com slash bench. All right, today we're talking with Amanda Minier from Veterans Law Group in the San Diego area. Amanda, before we get to talking about all the uh, things that you're helping veterans with as far as the VA claims and medical claims and everything, take us back and give us a little idea what your background is. Oh, sure. No problem. I actually grew up youngest of six kids. Um, first one to go to college and graduate from college. And a lot of my family was, many of my family was in the military, aunts and uncles and grandfather, that kind of thing. So I grew up with a pretty healthy dose of respect for the military. And my mom kind of taught us that it was our job to take care of those who served while they're serving. So we were always sending care packages to people overseas and that kind of thing. But I knew at a really young age that I wanted to go to law school and um, ended up you know, graduating law school and got into doing some business law work, so helping people start businesses. I ran my own firm doing that for about 10 years. And then about seven years ago, I met a friend of mine who had come back from being over in Iraq for about 18 months. And he came back just kind of a completely different person. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to help him um, follow the process of filing claims and getting his disability. And I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't even know that there were attorneys or VSOs or anything like that. I was just kind of trying to help him because at the time he was living in my house because he had nowhere else to go. <laughs> so that kind of led to this career here. Um, fast forward now about seven, eight years later. Wow. So I've heard thousands of stories from personal friends and friends of friends with guys and gals getting out of the military. And I've heard every, every crazy story all the way to the, as worse as it gets to, you know, those that really had no problem whatsoever and everything worked fine. Um, so tell us like, what are some of the big things that come to mind when, when you hear that, or when somebody first comes to you and they say, Hey, I'm having a real hard time with my VA claims, you know, after getting out. Um, there's different aspects. Sometimes it is the VA making mistakes. Sometimes it's that we're not, or the veteran isn't making it easy for the VA to grant the case. Mm -hmm. So I look at a representative's job like me or a veteran service officer, their job is to help the veteran make it easy for the VA to grant the case, make sure they have the medical evidence they need, make sure that it's pointed out instead of, you know, if you spent 20 years in the military, your STRs are probably pretty lengthy. And to expect the VA to find your low back injury on page 400, <laughs> scribbled <laughs> by a medical professional, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, count, you're asking for a lot from them. So I always recommend with veterans to do whatever they can to make it easy, pull that page out of their STRs, annotate it if necessary so it can be read. 
And I mean by, you know, typing it up or something so that you can say, see, that says low back pain. And when you look at it, you're like, okay, that probably does say low back pain, but you wouldn't have found it if you were just sifting through papers. Other times the VA just flat out makes mistakes. So, yeah. You know, and I think the longer you served in the military and dealt with the medical system and dealt with administrative issues and problems throughout your career and learned to be your own best advocate as far as your career was concerned, probably the better you are dealing with the VA claim process. But, you know, some of these young kids that spend, you know, three, four years or even a couple of years and they get injured and boom, they're out. Um, mm-hmm. One, they don't really, they probably didn't give much, much guidance or much peer support. They didn't have a lot of buddies that got out and knew the system really well. They could kind of coach them along the way. But in some ways, they probably don't realize what's at stake either. Um, so a lot of them may I, just not care that much. Yeah, and I think um, one of the biggest struggles is if they wait too long to file their claim. And, you know, I hear all kinds of things of the reason why I waited that long is because I didn't know of the benefit or I figured there were other veterans who needed it more than I did and I didn't want to put in a claim. Um, But when you're dealing especially with like orthopedic issues, um, if you at least file the claim right when you get out or, you know, as soon as you can, even if you just get a zero percent, those back problems may become a problem down the road (laughs) that you didn't think was going to become a problem when you're, you know, 26 years old and spent four years in the military and got out, you never knew that that injury that you had was going to become a lifelong problem. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned 0%. I remember going through separations classes and the guy up front was like, 0%, you know, that's important. Get a 0%. And we're all looking at it's like, what, what matter? Why, why do you care if it's a 0%? Well, all that means to me is that you at least have um, jumped the initial hurdle of giving getting that injury service connected, but it may not be affecting you to the level of you being paid and compensated for it, but then you're always service connected. So if fast forward 10 years from now, that back injury has become a problem, then all you're filing is for an increase from the 0% to 20 or 40 or depending on how bad it is. But the service connection is the hardest thing to get if you wait too long. Yeah. I, the thing I remember about the 0%, I don't know if it's still the same, is the 0%, it doesn't really do you much good. But on down the road, if it starts creating problems, you know, medication or possible surgeries or treatment for that issue would be covered as it gets worse because you already locked it in at 0%. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you've already locked it in at being service connected. So with every okay. claim, you have to prove that it. the first thing is saying, yes, it's service connected. Your current injury is connected to your injury in service. Then they establish a percentage based upon how bad those symptoms are. So it's, they all start at 0% and then they jump, some of them jump 10, 30, 50 is in the psych condition that goes to 20 and 40. So if you early on establish service connection, even if you only get 0% because it's not affecting you that much, later all you have to do is show the symptoms have increased. You don't have to reestablish that it's because of the injury in service. Hmm. Okay. Have you dealt with people that had 0% or, or, or excuse me, I guess the best way to say it is the 0% means they had it service connected many years before and it was something that actually developed into something worse and then when they go back uh have you helped people walk go through that process of you know getting treatment for it or getting an increase later on 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, many of the people who come to us have already gotten a percentage. They're just looking for it to be increased. So we look at, you know, the VA underrated them or they were rated as they should have been years ago, but now they're putting in for an increase. Okay. And then how often are you dealing with with people that are coming out of the military and really right out of the gate, they, they've started having problems with the claim process and therefore they're coming to you at the beginning. Well, we don't work on initial claims. Most law offices don't You veteran service organizations do that for free for the veterans. Mm-hmm. So they're going to file the claim and get an initial response. And then at that point, if you're either denied service connection or you are what you know underrated, so you only got 10% for an issue that affects you pretty much every day, then you might want to look at coming to get help for an appeal. So all we do are appeals. I got audited by the IRS. Yep. For the first time ever, I got audited. Matter of fact, it's still ongoing for the year 2016. At first, I was real concerned about my books and all the information that was required by the CPA to get through this audit. Then I remembered I'd started bench bookkeeping a while back. I frantically went into my bench account using the bench app on my phone to see if I'd started using bench before 2016. Huge relief. I'd actually started in 2016, but I'd had bench go backwards to the beginning of the year, so everything was covered. When we were able to immediately provide all the required information to our CPA, he was very impressed with our bookkeeping organization and our records. I just smiled and thought, well, it's not really that I'm very organized or anything. It's because I have bench. (laughs) That's why. So with bench, even an audit from the IRS became no big deal. I will never be without bench. I believe that once you try bench, you won't ever be without them either. So right now, you can get one free month of bench and see for yourself how great they are. Go to veteranonthemove.com slash bench. Check them out there. Sign up. Use them for a month. You'll become a believer. You don't even have to enter a credit card number or anything like that. Just use them for a month, and I, I guarantee you, you won't want to be without them. All right, we're back talking with Amanda Manier from Veterans Law Group. So, Amanda, what's the typical typical case, typical scenario you see uh, walking into your office? And kind of walk us through a typical case from beginning to end and how long it takes uh, to finish it up. Sure. So, um, one of the most popular cases we end up with is somebody has filed for uh, PTSD and they get a rating decision for 50%. And in con- talking with them and doing a consult with them, we find out that their PTSD has been affecting their ability to work and to hold down a job. So we would typically file an appeal on that and for the 50% percentage, and then also file what they call a TDIU claim, which is an individual unemployability. So the VA has a benefit where if your disabilities are affecting your ability to work full-time, that there is some compensation. You'll get paid at the 100% rate, even if you're like at 70% overall. So we would file that appeal. Appeal these days on the initial level of appeal, which is what that would be, is taking two to three years, believe it or not. Um, Yeah, and it's gotten worse just in the last six years I've been at this company. It used to be about a year to two years, and now it's about two to three But during that process, we would gather all your medical evidence. We would do whatever interviews that we needed to do as far as your employment. And then typically, we also do a vocational assessment, which we have you talk to a vocational expert and or a psychologist 
that is paid by us to render a better opinion or a more thorough examination than a typical CNP exam is done. Now, on a PTSD rating, can a PT, PTSD rating be anywhere from zero to 100%? Yes, but it, it, it jumps. So there's no such thing as a 20%. There's a 10, a 30, a 50, a 70, and a 100. So huh. it, it's not at every 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm real curious, since PTSD is the most common one, what qualifies as 10, 30, 40, 50, whatever the number, those jumps were? Can you speak to that? Yeah, all of the percentages that for every disability is based upon what is written in statute. So the statute has a list of symptoms that um, would show up in a 50% and a 70% and 100%. And we've got a really easy cheat sheet on that on our website for a lot of the different disabilities. We call them rating sheets that will actually list the symptoms. But I can give you an idea, like if somebody is dealing with near continuous depression and uh, suicide ideation at times, that's going to hit you at a 70%. If you have PTSD, but it is controlled with medication, meaning you're not really having symptoms day to day, that's going to be a 10%. Interesting. And another question that comes to mind is regarding your whatever ratings you have and what they all add up to. And obviously, if you get the 100%, you're not, you can't really work rating. That's kind of like the, you know, the, the highest rating or um, if, if basically you can't work and the VA is yeah. going to pay you a salary now. Yeah, essentially what they're saying is that, you know, typically you need to be at a 70% for that, for PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to 100% is very difficult. You have to be really, really, really in a bad place. So what the VA says is, well, it's affecting your ability to work. So we're going to pay you at the 100% rate, even though you don't meet the 100% rate symptoms under PTSD. Interesting. And are there any certain percentages that if, if somebody gets, do any of these ratings or percentages keep you from going out and working in the civilian sector? Um, only if you are getting paid at the 100% because you've been granted unemployability. But there are many people out there who have a 100%, what what we call 100% scheduler, which means all of their individual disabilities, doing VA math, it's not 10 plus 10 is 20. (laughs) But their overall, if their overall disability is 100%, and that's based upon all of their physical and psychological disabilities, not based upon unemployability, then you can still work. So there are many veterans that are at 100% that are working. But if they are granted unemployability, then your working is limited to making less than $12,000 a year. And if you make more than that, then the VA will reevaluate. And you can possibly risk losing that if you end up working full time. Right. So I tell people, depending on upon what their overall is, the difference between like 90% and 100% in the payment is about $15,000 a year. So if you're 90% overall and you're able to make, you know, work and make more than $15,000, then it's, it behooves you to work the job that's going to make you more money. Um, The other thing, and I know you guys have the topic of entrepreneurship is that a lot of veterans are able to do their own work on the side. And that's what we call, you know, you're in a protected environment, which means you can work when you want to and not when you don't need to. So, or when you're having struggle. So you can be getting unemployability and work that kind of position if you're working for yourself. 
Yeah, and it's probably a whole lot easier to get to 90 than it is to 100. I think you said the 100 yeah. is the mo- obviously the hardest thing to get to. Yes, for sure. Yeah, interesting. Just to give you an idea, if you're at 90% overall, in order to get from 90 to 100 overall, you need another disability equivalent to a 50%. So 90 plus 50 is somehow 100 in the VA world. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so oftentimes when someone comes in your office and they're working through this and already had an initial, an initial rating is what it's called mm-hmm. from there. And sometimes this can take two to three years to work through. Yeah, but their effective date will hold that entire time. So if we're able to get you to a hundred percent, then you will get back paid, you know, for that hundred percent back to the date that you filed your claim. Yeah. Do you think it takes so long because the VA is just playing the maybe they'll go away and give up game? Um, sometimes I do. I have to curb my cynicism a little bit because <laughs> I know I know that I see the worst of the worst. So I don't see it when the VA gets it right. Mm-hmm. I see it when they get it wrong and people are wanting to appeal it. So I have to remind myself that they do get it right sometimes. But I do you know, have a very strong belief that I think they underrate people often probably because they think they're going to go away or, you know, how do you, how are you supposed to know that the 50% rating you got is what you should have gotten or not? Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's a complicated world. And I do believe budget wise that they put off claims, big payment out of claims for a while to get it into the next budget year. I've seen that kind of thing happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it did surprise me. And of course, a lot of this isn't just necessarily the VA, I think it's basically the, the nature of the beast when it comes to any any government organization or large organization too. So IRS Absolutely. isn't a whole lot different. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Social Security Administration as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you mind if I ask how you guys get paid? Because oftentimes some of these people you're dealing with probably don't have a lot of money or can't, you know risk putting a lot of money up front if they don't even know what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We work on contingency only. So there's no retainer. Um, What we do is we essentially decide whether or not we can take your case. And then you sign a contract that says if and when you get a lump sum of back pay based upon what we did for you, the VA will actually withhold 20% out of your payment and then pay us directly. So we never send you a bill, um, and then we cover all of the costs of independent medical exams, copies of records, anything like that. So there's no out-of-pocket costs from the veteran's perspective. So basically 20% of back pay is a, is a pretty much what, yeah. it, what it comes Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of a painless way of, of going about it. And so obviously when you're evaluating somebody that comes in your office, you know, you're evaluating on whether – they're legit and um, whether, whether you could make a case and possibly win, right? You're not, you're not taking right. cases that you know are, are, are not going to be a winner. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, and the great thing about that is that um, I'm able to tell a client, you know, if they, if we took them on as a client, then we believe in their case a hundred percent. We wouldn't have taken them on if we didn't believe in it. So it's nice to be able to say that to a client when they're, you know, a year and a half in going, do I even have a claim? Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> So um, I do a lot of pep talks of, you know, I recently had a guy who he was just couldn't deal with the stress of it anymore, even though we were just waiting on a decision. And I talked him out of canceling his case a number of times, and he ended up with $200,000 of back pay. Wow. That's nice. Wow. 
That's incredible. I, I mean, that, that's got to be, in addition to obviously it's payday for you guys, that's got to be uh, a tremendous feeling uh, seeing these guys that are really struggling and having problems and work yep. struggling for a couple of years and all of a sudden, bing, you, you, you won. Yeah. And it's, you know, I know that providing a, you know, money is it's not going to solve their problems, but it does. I've seen a lot of times where it helps to create some stability to where they can get help for their problems. So mm. I have, you know, my favorite all-time client, he still checks in with me now and then, and he, you know, we've fought his case for about three years and got him up to the hundred percent under unemployability. And he's now married and on his second kid and he's getting private treatment and just wanted us to know how much of a difference we made in his life. So yeah, there it's really rewarding, but I know that he still has his PTSD. He still struggles with it, but at least he's able to take care of his kids, which is what he, all he ever said he wanted to do was be able to take care of his kids. Yeah. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. One of the things that we, we were talking about over the break was what kind of things do veterans need to be concerned about when they're, when they're going in for an exam? Okay. Um, there's a couple of things that I see over and over again on uh, psych conditions. If they're going in, they typically will get scheduled with somebody they've never met before. They walk in, it's a 15 to 30 minute interview, and somehow the VA expects them to spill their guts as to how bad things are. <laughs> and we're talking veterans, and we're talking people who served with honor, we're talking people who have a hard time asking for help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, being an advocate, you have to be kind of an advocate for yourself. But I see a lot of times where they, you know, they dress up, they put on their good face and they go in and ask for help. And they're talking to the CMP examiner and they're not talking about all their symptoms. And the VA examiners don't always ask all of those. So making sure that you're brutally honest on how it is on your worst day, and that's for sight conditions, that's for your back, that's for any, you know, orthopedic stuff of, anybody who's dealt with back issues knows that there's some days that are worse than others. And so they should be talking about the case as it is on their worst day. Does the VA ever allow like your spouse to come in with you or as a testimonial or like your parents or somebody who has always known you and now knows you after all of this has happened? Um, At hearings, if you do a hearing before the VA, absolutely. Um, in fact, we utilize that a lot where spouses will be a lot more open about how bad it is than sometimes the veteran themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't think you have any problems. Ask your wife. <laughs> right. Exactly. Really? No unprovoked anger? Hmm, what about last night? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> But I on the CNP when you're going to a CNP exam, like we encourage our clients to take their spouse with them. But I've also heard that sometimes doctors will not allow that. So I still say try it um, because for one, you also have a second witness there because we can pull your CNP exam once it's done, and we always have the veteran review it for accuracy. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's not a great CNP exam, then we might find out sometimes they get the medical history completely wrong because these doctors, that's all they're doing all day long is CNP exams. So <laughs> I can't imagine mm. that, you know, sometimes they get facts mixed up and um, that's grounds to challenge the examination. But my biggest thing is to be brutally honest about how it is on your worst day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it, when somebody finally does get a rating or by the time they get to you, they've already either been denied or got some kind of rating, might've been kind of low. How is it that they're to assume the rating is correct? 
the rating decision is supposed to include reasons why you were not granted the higher percentage. So if they grant you 10% for PTSD, then it's supposed to include language that says, a third, you know, we didn't find you were rated for the 30% level, which requires these symptoms. So I always encourage people to read their decision, which a lot of people don't, <laughs> but look at those symptoms and see, okay, does that, you know, does that mean that, you know, do I have those symptoms? And if so, maybe I should talk to somebody about appealing it. But what they don't do is show you the higher levels. So you may be granted 10% and they don't show you the symptoms for 50 for PTSD. In those cases, a VSO should be able to help you or our office would be able to at least give you what those symptoms are supposed to be. Okay. Well, Amanda, how, do, how would somebody find you guys at, at the Veterans Law Group and what would be the best way to start the process if they want to come talk to you for help? Um, great. Our website is veteranslaw.com. That's veterans with an S. And on there is a, you can click on it and fill out the consult request, which kind of gathers all the information that we need to then schedule a consult call with you. If that's not the way you want to go about it and you want to talk in per- or you know via phone first our number is 888-811-0523 and again all of our paralegals here are veterans themselves and so they not only understand what you went through while you served but also many of them have been through the disability process themselves yeah okay can you speak to those folks that maybe haven't gotten out or they're getting going through transition now and what things have you run across dealing with these folks where the veteran themselves has kind of screwed it up? You know, they, whether it's they didn't do the paperwork right or they just didn't make it easy for the, you know, and then is it not following through or is it just not doing well with paperwork? I think what it is, is when you're ready to get out, you're ready to get out. Yeah. So you're doing whatever you need to do to get all your boxes checked so you can get out. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest mistake I see, or I guess not necessarily a mistake, but what would help a lot is to make sure everything is documented on your exit exam. So if you had a back injury at some point, even if it's not bothering you, make sure that it's you know it's stated there. Um, if you have problems with insomnia, if you have problems with flashbacks or nightmares or anything like that, make sure it's included on your exit interview. If you don't want to deal it on your exit interview, the first year out of service is is the key time. Um, there are many things that you can be service connected for that if you can show you were diagnosed within a year after service will automatically be considered service connected. In addition to that, if you file your claim within the first year, then it will automatically go back to the date you last were in service or the day after you last were in service. Mm-hmm. But if you wait for over a year, then the effective date is the day you file the claim. Okay. So we're about out of time, Amanda. I just, you know, does anything come to mind? I'm going to give you the last word. If you're talking to somebody kind of like what you were just doing, if, if they're getting out or in that transition, or I guess within the first year is crucial, you know, what kind of final advice would you have for them in dealing with the VA claims process? Um, I would say that, especially if you're still in service and you're getting ready to get out, even if it's within a couple of years on a psychological aspect with, with PTSD and those kind of things, don't be afraid to go get treatment, even if you don't go in service. There's a lot of nonprofits that do free counseling and they could give you a diagnosis and you don't necessarily have to show the military at that time, but you're able to establish that it was there. So there's some of those things that you can do. And I know that 
that I deal with mostly people related with PTSD and MST cases and that kind of thing. So it comes up a lot. I know it's hard to ask for help and I know that it's hard to admit that you're having those issues, but taking care of it now is better than waiting until retirement. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, Amanda. I appreciate uh, what you're doing with helping veterans through their VA claim processes and look forward to your future success. And uh, thanks for being here and sharing your story. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>